My name is Scott Challoner, and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very cold but very bright winter morning here in the capital today, and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show is Adi Adabambo, accountant and director at the London Accountancy Practice right here in the capital, to hopefully add even more warmth and brightness to affairs today. Um, Addy, very warm welcome to yourself and by all means, thank you for joining us on today's show. Thank you very much, Scott, and thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an immense pleasure welcoming you onto the uh, the programme, Addy. And uh, just to sort of set in a little bit of context for those listeners that might not be familiar with yourself and your organisation, you've been around since the uh, the late 90s. And what is it really that you would say your organisation does, please? Actually, we've been around since mid-80s. Oh, even longer. Um, the, yeah, the background to it is basically to help small, medium-sized organizations, particularly that time, the charity sector. They were facing a lot of challenges in terms of their finances, accountability, responsibility, and transparency. And we also realized that not many of them can or could afford to pay private accountants. So this project was set up to help those hard-to-reach groups and also teach them, train them um, in terms of empowerment and capacity building to understand the finances, run the organization, budgeting, planning, control, the requirements of the charity commission, the company's house to train the trustees in terms of their responsibilities and how they can move the organization forward. And that's what we have been able to deliver. And in, each, in the areas that we work, we've been able to help these groups to be able to bring in money from potential funders to their respective organizations. Yeah, certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective. And I think the reason why the, I had sort of the late 90s in my mind there, I do apologise for that uh, little slip up yeah, there, okay. um, is that was when you became involved with the organisation, wasn't it, May 1998? And um, you've led London Accountancy Practice since that point in time. Um, but you obviously had an established background in financial services before that. So would you say that the experiences that you had going into that leadership role sort of made you kind of a tailor-made fit for the position and it's really helped you sort of develop the organization going forward? Yes. I mean, you, you, are, you, are, you are quite right. Established uh, in the 80s, carry on. I, I took over in 1998. That is where that came on. So it's not a mistake. Now, to my own background, I studied accountancy and I studied business administration. I did a postgraduate at Sheffield Hallam Uni and my MBA at Manchester Business School. I've always been keen to pass my knowledge to organizations and also to improve the society. I had a stint in the city of London where I learned about investments and basically profit, profit, profit. My thinking that time was everything about profit. But in this sector, it's quite different because you are dealing with community, with society, with 
children, with people from different backgrounds, and really have to appreciate and value, not just monetary value, but also value lives of people. And that's the big difference. Money comes from the city, but here we are really, really, really dealing <laughs> with life of individuals. And you can see people who are rich, who are medium, who are poor, and people are struggling and how you can possibly help them. Exactly right. And um, those sorts of inequalities between different individuals in society have really been amplified, haven't they, in the last couple of years by the COVID-19 situation. So I can imagine that you've been looking quite hard at that and you've obviously had to navigate sort of quite a few challenges in the wake of the health crisis too. Yes, we're quite right. Many people face challenges. I mean, in my position uh, in the community, even in the church, you hear a lot of parents who are facing challenges, simple things like laptop to provide for the children. It's a challenge to some families. Homework, homework clubs, you know, in those days you have fertilities and all those were almost practically gone. Nowhere for the kids to go after school or before school. And now the pandemic actually worsened, if you like, that situation. So quite a lot of families were actually, actually struggling due to the pandemic. Um, we are hoping that lessons will have been learned, improvements will have been made, or will be made, and then things can improve from that. Yeah, and I certainly think that for improvements to be made, addressing that digital divide that you sort of talked about there is going to be incredibly important because in a world where, you know, we're looking more at our working practices, the digital revolution has been hastened and also there's a lot more reliance on technology and it's playing more of a part in our day-to-day lives. There's more potential for the disadvantaged to be left behind if that gap isn't bridged, isn't there? So, if this government is talking about levelling up, for instance, that surely has to be a key priority, closing that digital gap. Yeah, that, yeah, that, we are quite right. I mean, the government can talk about levelling up. Don't forget, they are talking in terms of towns and cities. Now, we also have to look at the individuals in those towns and cities. Mm. For example, London in the southeast, we think everything is well, everything is okay. The money is everywhere in London. But when you actually break it down to areas, to boroughs, to individual families, you still have not just pockets of poverty, but you still have areas that are deprived, you know, suffering from deprivation. And those areas has to be haven't been identified also to be helped out as well. Yes, it's good to level up, but we cannot forget that there are some people, uh, some minorities, if you like, who are still struggling. Mm. And it's those minorities as well that have been very disproportionately affected by the virus itself, isn't it? By COVID-19. And also that's something that warrants being looked into because perhaps the level of deprivation, the level of disadvantage is partially to blame for that, isn't it? Yes, we are right. There are two or three things you have to look at in that respect. The majority of people that are affected, apart from 
being from the minority ethnic background, you will realize the nature of their job contributed to it. Some work uh, London transport, publicly, some security, some nurses, some midwives, some carers. Those areas are kind of almost breathing ground, if you like, for COVID-19. And don't forget, there are some areas I was told, for example, like East London is one of the hard hit areas. And when you look at the demography of the place, it means lots of people or families kind of live in one house, one flat. You could have six people in a particular house or in a particular flat, maybe two-bed flat. And the way the thing breaks, it means that they are going to be easily affected. Now, if you take that context to completely outside London, where you have houses, gardens, detached houses, maybe only a couple and two kids in a massive, you know, house. So they are less affected. So the concentration of people living in a particular area, the nature of their work, how they interact with people actually allows it to affect so many people from the minority ethnic group. Exactly right. This is one of the reasons why it's hitting different um, minority ethnic groups so much harder than it is for others as well. And uh, I think, I suppose the optimism moving forward from this is that we learn the lessons from the pandemic and use that to sort of make the positive change that's going to be required. And one of those changes has got to be on the equality side of things. And if we look at business, industry certainly seems to be learning those lessons because they're already looking at various different policies to try and get more people of ethnic minorities into sort of leadership positions and that is something that also is probably needed looking at for quite some time, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. I mean, the way things are done, and that's actually one point I was going to raise earlier on when we were talking about working from home and things like that you mentioned mm. earlier on. The nature of people's jobs, some people, they're allowed to work from home. I could work from home, I could work from, you know, from the office, but there are people, the nature of their job just doesn't allow them to work from home. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at what, what set of people are those people who are not allowed to be able to work from, from the homes? If you, are, if you work in a supermarket, or you're a cashier, or you're a doctor, or you're a nurse, or you're a midwife, or you're a teacher, you can't possibly work from home. So people who fall into that category, they 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 need help than than some other people. So and then when you look at who are actually affected, if you like, by that scenario, those are the kind of people that we'll have to kind of pay attention to and do as much as we can to be able to improve the 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 nature of jobs or the condition and situation of jobs we are providing for people as well. Mm. That's incredibly important. That's absolutely right. And when we think about sort of working from home, I think we also have to remember that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach because working from home for the managing director is going to be very different to working from home for the receptionist, particularly if you're living in London where, you know, 
a managing director is likely to be living in quite a big property with a garden area and then somebody working lower down the ranks is more than likely to have a one-bed flat somewhere and therefore working from home may not be entirely suited to them. So that also has to be considered, certainly from a well-being perspective. Yes, yes, matter, yes, matter. From well-being perspective, and I and I and I think people, there's something we're actually missing sometimes. Some of those things actually start a lot earlier, and I I have reports sometimes even kids at school, um, if 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 something happens to them or they are expelled from school or their education is affected. And as they are growing, those things are affecting them. And eventually, if care is not taken, they don't see themselves as fully, fully complete part of the society. Mm. People talk about discrimination. They talk about um, not having chances or opportunities. One of the things that we do, we realize that there are people, they have potential but they haven't got the experience to go out there to get the proper job that they would have loved to do. And therefore, we provide opportunities for placements, for training, for volunteering, to be able to equip them to have that particular experience that they need to go outside there and get a job. And you realize they have the opportunity, they have the brain, but they haven't got the experience to do it. And when they are equipped, they are able to go out there and perform well. So it's part of the things that we do to help the communities. And I think similar thing with this apprenticeship that is helping people as well. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. I think that's absolutely right. There's always a need there for experience when you're trying to go into certain roles and there aren't too many opportunities to go out and get that experience. And you know, every single day is a school day. We're constantly learning. We even know that within leadership roles. So being able to sort of nurture that next generation and sort of ensure that that next generation is treated equally. It's going to be incredibly important, isn't it, in this new sort of post-COVID world. And hopefully we can really harness this and use this as a watershed moment for the change that society is needed because these inequalities, they've really been sort of pushed into the national limelight by the pandemic. And now is the time where... It's there for all to see, and we really need to address this. Yes, it is. And I, and I think in a way, if you like, it's a wake-up call to everyone, including the government. It allows us to look at ourselves in the eyes to see where things are missing and to see how we can fix things. Pandemic actually, um, well, it provides opportunity, but it did expose a lot of things that in the past has been taken for granted. And I'm hoping that it will help us to regroup, to rejig, and to replan ourselves uh, in terms of way forward, even in terms of technology, to see what we can do in terms of technology, how we can advance our technology, how we can take advantage of opportunities that pandemic has created, you know, and how we can possibly uh, prepare ourselves better for the future. That's exactly right. And thinking about the future now, Addy, just before we wrap things up on today's show, um, I do want to talk about that because it is going to be incredibly important to see 
how these changes that need to happen do pan out in the coming months and years, if at all. And I was interested to understand what your hopes are for sort of the next sort of 12 months and beyond now that we're out of the acute phase of COVID and what plans you have at London Accountancy Practice to really sort of help be a part of instigating that change. Yeah. We are encouraging organisations to be able to improve their skills and what we can do online, we're trying to help them online. There are a few organizations that we kind of take this train of them by part of the services we are providing, for example, like payroll. So organizations that are very, very small, who cannot afford to employ their own accountants or bookkeeper, we try to take them on. We're looking into the future to be able to empower organizations and to help them within their communities to work collaboratively as well, to see where their lapses and also to see the areas where things can actually improve. Mm, some incredible stuff that you're obviously doing um, to sort of help really instigate that. And I think it's going to be very, very fascinating to keep a close eye on this situation, see how it develops, how hopefully these changes are really implemented. And as you know, the mist starts to clear, Addy, and we start to really see how this is taking shape. I'd love the opportunity to bring you back onto the uh, the programme to talk more about what's been happening and what more needs to be done, because we're in a constant state of flux with this, aren't we? And it is something that we do need to watch very, very closely. I will really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate that, because it's been a good thing. And given the fact that in the last two years, some smaller organizations, we call them grassroots, grassroots organizations, they are doing a lot of work for the community. And when they don't have money or they don't have funding or they're struggling, it does affect the community. Yes, big organizations, big charities, they have their functions, but those are the ones that are actually on the ground, seeing people day to day. And through them, you can know what happened in the community, what happens in the borough, and also nationally, what happened. And many of them, they operate on a very, very small budget that large, large organizations cannot operate. And we must not lose sight of that kind of groups. Hence, we are still here trying to help them out. Exactly right. They're the fabric of the community and they're the backbone of the UK economy, aren't they? So it's so, so important that these the community groups are really yes, preserved correct. absolutely and like I say obviously getting this message out there about the importance of those organizations is only going to hopefully help the cause further um addy thank you once again for taking the time to join us on the program today i mean it's been immense pleasure welcoming you and i'm certainly looking forward to uh, touching base in the future thank you very much Chris, for having me and thank you so much for the good work that you are doing thank you god bless you it was an immense pleasure for me to welcome Adi Adabambo from the London Accountancy Practice onto today's programme. And I hope that everybody tuning in has enjoyed the interview just as much as I did. Very thought-provoking stuff indeed. And for anybody listening in today who may run their own business or their own organisation, who may feel that you have your own story of success, innovation to share with us, then we at the Leaders' Council also want to hear from you. So why not apply to be on the programme yourself via leaderscouncil.co.uk? UK forward slash apply because we would love to hear your story. 
Um, until next time, to all of our listeners, please do take care and goodbye.